So hey, <clears throat> it's time for the final Kira and Ducat episode. Seriously, this is the last time they'll ever see each other. Ever, ever, ever. I'm sure that's a good thing for her. I'm not sure if he likes that. I'm not sure anyone cares. Sorry, Pa Ducat. Because <laughs> Ducat's already had his last scene with her. One of the points is they wanted to reestablish Ducat. Wanted to bring him back in the limelight. After all, he's the main villain of Deep Space Nine. And the final boss, the final challenge to overcome. Right. I've decided after some thought, I'm going to save most of my thoughts about how uh, much I disagree with that until we get to the final episode. For now, all I'm going to say is... <sighs> I disagree. So... The episode begins with an idea about blind faith versus precise faith, which I've actually brought up before. For those of you who don't remember, the idea is blind faith is you have faith, then something happens. Precise faith is something happens, and then you have faith in it. Different, different approach, in other words. And Odo has this actually rather fascinating discussion with the rest of them about various religions. And once again, they're all pretty open about the thing. I think they say faiths, not religions, but what they're talking about is religions, organized, rules, uh, codified laws, etc. You know, instead of a faith, which is something that you have faith in. <laughs> now, uh, there's this bit where they beam her... Uh, well, actually, hang on. Fala. Vedic Fala shows up. First question, how did nobody know he was a Paw Wraith follower, considering he's been a Paw Wraith follower for the better part of the last six years? Second question, how the hell did they beam her off the station with nobody noticing, and he managed to get away without anybody noticing in time? Third question, how the hell did they beam her that far away? It's something like three light years. That's insane range. Now I know what you're going to say. Well, wait a minute, Laura. Don't Dominion transporters have ludicrously far range? Here's the problem. If you remember way back when the Jem'Hadar were first introduced, um, right at the end, Vorta Lady, I forget her name, is like, and she beams away, and they have no idea where she beams to. The idea being that the beaming range is ridiculously huge. Okay. If that's actually the kind of tech the Dominion have, then they should have won the war years ago. Yes, I know what I've said, and I mean it. If they can beam from so far away, you can't even detect the ship immediately because they are light years away. That is an absolutely ludicrous tactical advantage. That is, we could, we could zoom over to like Alpha Centauri, that's, that's a bit of an exaggeration, and beam troops into Starfleet headquarters. Think about that for a second. And they've never demonstrated this, ever, other than this one time. Now, you could say that they had the, the booster because she had the little beaming thing, but I still call bull on this. And it kind of irritates me because it's such an unnecessary part of the episode. They just had to tech-tech their way around somehow magically having a mazo transporters into darkness all over again. They could have just said, you know, have Vedic Vala come over and be like, I want to talk to you about the Paw Race. What? The Paw Race are evil. Well, I want to talk about that. No, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, just give us a chance, please. She's like, okay, fine. Just for you, Fala. For old times' sakes, I will believe that there are members of the Parath cult who are not evil and horrible. And he's like, thank you. They fly over to Empark Nor, and there's Dukat. Boom. Done. No need for the magic teleporter. So, 
That being stated, how do I phrase this? One of the parts of the episode that doesn't work for me is that they kidnap Kira, and then they hold her against her will. I know that sounds strange, but given the overall approach and style of the episode, it would make more sense if she was there willingly and was staying willingly. Not because she wanted to, not because she believed or whatever, but because she was trying to help these people, trying to unmask Dukat. Instead, she's in an escape scenario. And yet you'll notice the one and only time she actually makes a serious... Well, two. Both times she makes a serious effort to escape, it's more about Dukat and stopping him than it is about anything else, and about helping the people. In short, from a core narrative constructive perspective, I feel the skeleton here is mistaken. You could have her semi-restricted once she's on the station if you really want to. But even that is unnecessary, especially since, as Follow himself says later on, she's free to talk to whoever and do whatever. So, why the kidnapping? Why the restriction? There's this bit where she's talking to Ducat. He has a long scene talking about things. And he makes some interesting point, but the first thing I want to mention is he starts with a valid point. What the hell were the prophets doing during the occupation? I did a little looking into this. To my knowledge, no canon answer has ever been given for this. Some of the books have kind of covered that period of history, but for the most part, there's no explanation given for what the hell the prophets were doing for 70 years or however long it was of, of oppression and horribleness. Like, like these these people are suffering and dying. And when you want to get involved, prophets, you claim to care about Bejor, right? You do care, care about Bejor. I mean, maybe they don't. After all, Cisco had to convince them to take care of Bejor, right? And I've heard a theory that they care more about Cisco than Bejor, and they only do that for him. Hence, the requiring a cost of him. He will find no rest on Bejor, as we'll see later this season. Anyways, I, I don't know what else to add to that. Either the prophets were doing nothing during the occupation, which is basically what the show posits, or they were doing quiet things to make it more tolerable, which is also possible. But both of those are really, really hard pills to swallow. So Dukat starts off with a very valid point, and if I could be blunt, I am amazed there are not more people who are anti-profit, whether they are paw wraith or not, because of that. Now, it may have just sounded like I just said Dukat has a point, and he does, but the nature of his argument is... it, it, it contains many fallacies. Probably my favorite example of this is when he actually... Every time she brings up something he's done wrong, he says, I'm a changed man, the prophets have forgiven, excuse me, the pirates have forgiven me. He doesn't offer any kind of insight into being changed. You can't just say, I'm changed. You have to demonstrate that you understand, that you think in a different way. Let me use an example of this uh, fallacy here. What about when you murdered Jadzia? That was an unfortunate circumstance. She was in the way. He doesn't apologize for it. I mean, why would he? That would involve being a changed man. So even at the very beginning of the episode, you can see that Dukat is not a changed man, even though he is Pa Dukat. In short, Pa Dukat is still horrifically, cartoonishly evil, is what I'm trying to say. He is the same Pa Dukat we saw back in Waltz. That's the point, after all. He's the villain. The main villain of the entire show. Now, as a further addendum, 
there's this nice bit where he actually mentions, you have no idea what it felt like to have a paw wraith inside me. Actually, she totally does. I like that she doesn't mention that to him. She has had a prophet inside her. Remember? Uh, reckoning? Anywho. So they imprison her and they kidnap her and they perform abstinence. Ducat doesn't, of course, because, I mean, good lord, the man can never pe- keep, him, keep it in his pants. Um, I, I don't even know what to add to that. You, know, you need approval to, to mate. Okay, sure, whatever. Ducat keeps hammering this why don't they love me point, which is interesting. You know, the, uh, when Kira brings up, these people really might actually love you. And, but but if this all goes back to the Bajoran people. You don't understand why the Bajorans didn't like you, and Ducat's response is to begin the same old argument. Under my leadership, the, things could have been a lot worse if not for my leadership. And her response is the usual. Well, screw you. So you kind of see that whole need-to-be-loved thing that, that is typical of Pa Ducat is just kind of coming right back into the forefront. Now, <laughs> this is also interesting because there's this point where, you know, they, they're going to meet the baby, and they see the baby, and we only see a few seconds of it with the Cardassian makeup. That's because there's very specific rules on how often and what you can do to film a baby. Obvious, you don't want to put makeup on a baby. Like, they have to use special types of makeup. It can only be on for so long. They have to use special stuff to clean up. And for good reason, it's worth noting. That is still a baby. So, what they actually did was they had this, like, little Chucky doll, basically. And... Mark Alemo, bless his heart, went through the whole shtick, and everyone's just like, oh my god, that doesn't work at all. No. No, that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, you think The Rock was bad back in Hearts of Stone. No, no, no. No, they had to actually uh, fix that. So so if you'll notice in the final version, they never show the baby at all after that one point. Probably the right move there. But what I want to call your attention to is their faces. Ducat's face when he sees the baby is just utter shock. Oh my god. I didn't I can't believe... Oh, this is especially interesting since he apparently only did it with her once, from what we understand. The Her expression is even more telling. She is just like, Oh, God. Oh, God. And just kind of... There's this almost rage glare coming out of her at all times to her husband and to Dukat. Nice touch. Nice touch there. So Dukat... Uh, Dukat tries to kill Mika... I don't know what he was expecting to happen there. He... Wow. He tries to kill her. You were so beautiful. I'm so sorry. Stab! Except what he does is arguably worse than that. Jesus Christ. And then, you know, he freaks out completely. And... uh, This is when I have to talk about something. So... Do you think Ducat is crazy? Do you think Ducat actually believes in things? Or do you think Ducat is just using the Parath for his own ends? Bonus point. These things are not mutually exclusive. He could just be crazy, genuinely believe, and still using it to to his own ends. Now, of course, this is Pa Ducat, so I don't have a good handle on the character, other than the fact that he's crazy evil. But if you were to ask my opinion, I would say it's actually all three that he really has completely gone mad. 
And he really does believe in the Paw Race and their message of burning the galaxy. And he really does try to manipulate the situation to his own advantage. Like, for example, I actually believe he did get the suicide order from the Paw Race. Why wouldn't he? I mean, think about the general maliciousness of that. Picture Dungeons and Dragons for a second. Faerun, okay? And you make a deal with a devil. Specifically a devil. Maybe a demon. Demon might be better. And the demon's like, hey... <laughs> You, prophet one who follows me, and you're like, yes, oh, venerated one. The demon says, have them all kill themselves. Now, there's no real benefit to that. It's just funny. It's just amusing. Maybe it might feed him a little bit of power. Nothing big. Nothing worthwhile. It's just, a, it's just amusing. This actually, that's a bad example, because in Faerun, if they actually venerated the wrong, like, like a demon as their deity, and they worshipped a demon, they might actually go to the abyss, and therefore the demon might get more power. So maybe there's an actual benefit to it there, but you get my point. That's my take on it. As ever, I'm curious of your guys' take. You know what I'm also curious about? This episode very, very briefly touches on the problems of competing faiths. Now, I specifically say faith, not religion. Compete, every religion competes with each other to some extent or another. I'm talking about faiths. Let's say you believe that everyone in the world should eat fruit. Uh, you know, at least once a day or something like that. If fruits is the, is the bounty of the great Fruitopia, and we'll all be able to go to Fruitopia when we die if we eat fruit, like, at least once a week or something like that. As long as we keep having fruit in our system. No, no code method. Just Because this isn't a set of laws. That's a religion. That's an organization. We're talking about just a faith, right? So you believe that the body needs fruit in order to get to Fruitopia. <laughs> just keep, just bear with me, okay? Let's all be civil today. So let's also imagine that there is another group of people who have faith where they believe that fruit is evil. That fruit is something that poisons the body. And as such, fruit must be kept away from people for, for as long as possible because fruit is going to just cause so many caustic issues to the body. Now, this is what we call a competing faith, because a surprisingly large amount of faiths in fiction and in real life are actually pretty congruent with each other. You know, groups from one can hang out with groups from the other, and everything's just kind of chill. A truly competing faith, which usually we don't see in this manner except in fiction, well, like I said, it's, they're completely incongruent. They cannot, they are fully mutually exclusive. They are actively opposed to each other. This is how they try to present the faith of the Pares and the Prophets, since both are actively at war. And yes, I know there's the book thing about the third group of Prophets. Let's, let's not get into that real quick. So the idea here is Fala says, well, this is what I believe and that's what you believe, and we should just go ahead and accept that. But the problem is, when you believe something in complete competition to someone else, you can't really just live and let live in the strictest sense there. Because there's only two ways to look at that. Let's go back to the fruit example. Let's say Fala believes that fruit is poison, and Kira believes that fruit is of, of fruitopia or whatever, right? It's divine. In this circumstance, Kira would legitimately believe it's a good thing to try and impress upon others to eat fruit on a regular basis. Just as Fala would genuinely believe that it's a good thing to try and impress upon others to not eat fruit, lest it poison them. You can see why there's not really a live and let live there. And that's kind of the dynamic that we've crafted here between the paw wraiths and between the prophets. The episode, unfortunately, doesn't really discuss this in any substantial manner, which is a shame, because there is, as I've said, a rather interesting topic here, and one that could be developed in depth, but instead, 
what we have is like one brief scene about it, and then the the rest of the episode just kind of posits the idea that the pirates are evil. The end. Uh, excuse me, two brief scenes. Let me let me catch up to that point here. There's this bit where Ducat is going to go ahead and you know, have them all kill themselves based on the the comet cult of real life, which is just terrible and tragic and awful. And they're going to make take this promazine. Fun fact: promazine is actually a real drug. I, I actually did a bit of a double take, like, wait, what? When I heard that, promazine is another one of those things that shouldn't exist in this setting. You know why? Because it's insane. This drug is so powerful that it will kill you within seconds and then destroy your body down to dust from a pill. That's actually kind of insane. I'm pretty sure a swarm of nanites would have a harder time of doing that than one dinky little pill. And yet apparently this pill can do that. Now, now I'm not necessarily questioning that the kind of technology exists for this thing, but once again we have the problem of if this kind of absolutely insane technological advantage exists, why aren't they using it? Do you know how easy it would be to beam some of these pills into a water supply? Or to beam them directly into someone's cup? Or to just have someone sneak in and feed them to someone? No trace, just dust. Think about that for a second. The tactical applications for this thing are absolutely just just mind-blowing. But no, never mentioned before again, it's only used for a suicide thing. Really? You couldn't have had them all, like, phaser themselves? That would actually be the obvious choice, because we know that the, ability, that the, the technology exists to fake being vaporized by a phaser, have the phaser instead actually trigger a transporter beam. Like, that's a thing in Star Trek, and would make a lot more sense. Everyone take a phaser... Turn it on yourself with the bar ice, and then he would fire, and then he would go... Right? But then Kira tackles him, his favor, phaser clatters into the group, and they're not, sh and it, they're not sure which one it is, and so someone's like, here, use mine instead. And Ducat's like, uh... Same, same thing could apply here. Make a lot more sense. If, forgive me, I don't like this episode, if that's not obvious. This episode is like, hey, Ducat, he's, he's evil and crazy, and... and Here's the Parath cult, and, and we're not going to discuss the actual issues, because we're just here to remind you that Ducat's the bad guy. Because at the very end is the second episode, or the second episode, excuse me, the second point in the episode, where they just briefly discuss the competing faiths problem. Fala takes the pill. And when asked why, he says his, he says his reason for doing so is faith. Kira herself brings up the point. I actually wrote this down before she said this. I said, did he have faith or was his faith broken? Because both are valid answers. And I'm actually very curious what you guys think on that. Do you think Fala killed himself because he had faith that this really was what the Pa Wraiths wanted? Or do you think he killed himself because his faith in the Pa Wraiths was broken and, well, no prophets, no Pa Wraiths, what's the point, right? I mean... I know that sounds horrible, but imagine if you know for a total certainty that two groups of gods exist, and you think one of them's evil, because of the occupation, and then you have just found out the other one's evil, too. So, I mean, how do you blame them at that point, right? <sighs> Either way, curious of your guys' thoughts. As always, I'll see you next time, guys.